A coal mine in Nova Scotia is bursting with workplace safety complaints. Air Canada donates your luggage to charity. Justin Trudeau looking for a constitutional showdown. Abandoned mines cost a ton of money for northern governments. And Canada surpasses 50,000 COVID-19 deaths. Good morning. It's January 23rd. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. This morning, we start in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. The underground coal mine near Donkin, Nova Scotia, only reopened four months ago and already has racked up a frightening list of safety violations. The mine is Canada's only underground coal mine. Reporting for CBC, Aaron Potty writes, quote, The Cape Breton Mines operator, Cameron Coal Management Limited, has received 14 warnings, 19 compliance orders, and eight administrative penalties or fines since reopening in mid-September. In this story, Potty quotes Fred Jeffers, executive director of the Department of Labor, Skills and Immigration Safety Division, saying that, quote, none of the violations posed an imminent risk or hazard to workers. That, of course, depends on what you believe the word imminent means. Potty lists each of the complaints, which include an employee injury due to a piece of equipment that was prohibited, unqualified worker doing electrical work, a few unapproved pieces of equipment being used in the mine, and improperly stored gas cylinders. Safety issues closed the mine in 2017. The mine workers are not unionized. It might be surprising to hear such a laissez-faire position from a government health and safety worker until you read some reporting from the National Observer's Chloe Logan. When the mine reopened, former MLA from nearby Glace Bay, Jeff McClellan, was working for the mine. This is someone who championed jobs, of course, in Glace Bay for the many years that he was elected, but it certainly does raise the question... Is the government too close to the mine operation? Are they too invested in the jobs at all costs? And who's really looking out for the workers? If uh, you work for the Duncan Mine, folks, get yourself a union stat. Now over to southern Ontario, where BlogTO is reporting that, with the help of AirTags, Nikita Reese managed to discover that Air Canada had donated her husband's suitcase to charity. In classic BlogTO style, it's not exactly uh, journalism. The entire report seems to be based on a TikTok video. Although BlogTO does slip in the word allegedly shipped the suitcase to a charity, so perhaps they have not followed up with Miss Reese on this story. Regardless, it's an interesting story. The pair, Reese and her, and her husband, had flown from Greece to Montreal, where they had to get their bags and recheck them into Toronto. That, by the way, is something that always happens. If you fly through Montreal, you have to pick up your bags if it's international. Don't make the mistake of not doing that. Okay, anyway, they did that, and when they got to Toronto, her husband's bag never came. The couple had air tags in the bags, and the bags' air tags led them to different addresses. Eventually, they found themselves at a storage facility that was, quote, piled floor to ceiling high with luggage. In that facility, Reese says there was more than 500 pieces of luggage. 
They contacted police. Police have gotten involved. And now Reese says they're waiting to purchase the police report to find out what charity owned the storage facility. Good reminder, use AirTags if you're flying with Air Canada. In the show notes, you can find a link to the BlogTO article, which also has a link to the TikTok video. Now to national news. This may have flown under your radar because it happened primarily in French. This past weekend, in an interview with La Presse, Justin Trudeau announced that he was prepared to have a constitutional showdown. Okay, he didn't use those words, but anyway. He said that he wants to find a better way to regulate how provinces use the notwithstanding clause. That's the clause in the Constitution that's kind of like an escape hatch. You add that to any legislation that you think might be unconstitutional, there's no ability to actually have a constitutional challenge. He told the press that, quote, there should be a political consequence to such a decision, but we are experiencing a certain trivialization of the suspension of rights. Trudeau continued, quote, and when you combine that with the rise of populism around the world, you can see that there are concerns about what might be done, unquote. Now, it's kind of interesting uh, to mix this in with a question of a rise of populism, because, of course, Section 33 has been invoked a couple of times in the last few years. Doug Ford said he was going to use it to shrink Toronto City Council and eventually didn't need to use it. He also said he was going to use it and then invoked it to force workers back to work who had announced that they were going on strike. You'll remember that from November. But it's probably less that that Trudeau has in his mind, especially when he mentions populism and concerns around the rise of populism, it's more likely the case that he's targeting the decisions of Francois Legault to use Section 33 to pass two laws in particular. One, Bill 21, which is widely unpopular outside of Quebec and widely popular, unfortunately, inside of Quebec, that prohibits some public sector workers from wearing religious symbols. The second use of the notwithstanding clause in the last five years was related to a law around language, Bill 96. Now, Bill 96 is extremely unpopular among the Liberals' base in Montreal, so there's no real surprise there. The provincial Liberals are in complete collapse, and so Trudeau is obviously thinking to some extent of shoring up support that might still exist for him, but he does have to pick off CAC voters, so it is a little bit confusing to go after a piece of legislation that is so popular especially in absence of popular movements that are looking to topple or undo the legislation. But probably more likely, this is a move to shore up support outside of Quebec. The problem, of course, is that Section 33 is the literal glue that holds together our Constitution. By promising premiers the ability to opt out of the Constitution, they were able to get enough buy-in to pass the Constitution. Now, unsurprisingly... Francois Legault fired back at Trudeau on Twitter, saying that Quebec governments had never adhered to the Constitution Act of 1982. Indeed, for many years, Section 33 was invoked for every piece of legislation in Quebec just to point out the illegitimacy of the act. And so I'm left wondering what this volley is. Why now? What is Trudeau trying to get ahead of? What events might Trudeau be trying to use? A constitutional discussion certainly serves Legault as it will distract from the province's healthcare crisis. But for Trudeau, I think that it probably hurts him more in Quebec than it helps him.
watch to see the next time that this gets mentioned and ask yourself what event or news is Trudeau trying to distract from or leverage. Now to Canada's north, where abandoned resource projects are costing governments a ton of money. Emily Blake at the Canadian Press reports that the top five expensive federal contaminated sites are all abandoned mines in Canada's north. She writes that the giant mine in the Northwest Territories will cost $4.38 billion to clean up. The Faro Mine in Yukon will cost $1 billion, and the United Kino Hill Mine in Yukon will cost $125 million. Lewis Rifkid with the Yukon Conservation Society told the Canadian press, quote, we're privatizing the profit and socializing the risk. That has to change. Indeed, the profits from those mining companies are long gone. They have left the region, and now territorial and the federal governments are left having to spend money cleaning up these mines, money that could go into housing services or literally anything else. Advocates argue that these costs need to be worked into the plans of initial work sites so that companies who profit off the operation of these mines are also expected to pay for mine cleanup. And finally, this is not news that you'll likely have seen, but last week, probably sometime around Thursday, Canada officially passed 50,000 deaths from COVID-19. Now, I say officially because it's likely much closer to 100,000 people. Back in June 2021, I was part of a research paper that looked at the number of excess deaths that likely have happened in Canada as a result of COVID-19. And then we were saying that based on all these different measures, the death toll is probably closer to 50,000. Excess mortality reporting has not gotten any better in Canada. If anything, we have less information. And so, yes, official 50,000 deaths likely probably double that. This is not news that I've seen in national reporting, and it's very disappointing. It's hard to know at what point what numbers we should use. The Public Health Agency of Canada has not updated their death data since January 16th. So this data is coming from the... Information that gets reported out through John Hopkins University and that you might find on Google if you were to search Canada's COVID-19 deaths. And there's a daily trend that you can actually look at. Last week on Thursday, there was a, a, a trend dump of 160 deaths that would have pushed us over that 50,000 mark. And so Thursday, did it happen Thursday, January 19th? Hard to say for sure, but we are now very well past at just over 50,200 deaths. That's a massive death toll. That's a huge death toll. And the fact that it has fallen out of the news is no longer considered to be the most important news of the day is really damning. And I hope that you spread this information, share it online, talk to your family and friends about it so that there at least is some sort of record, some sort of acknowledgement of where we found ourselves at this point in the pandemic. That is your news for today. It is Monday, January 23rd. Have a great week. Have a great Monday. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.